You're listening to Work Tape, episode 75. Welcome to another edition of the Work Tape Podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell. We got Isaac Groove and Grover in the building once again. What's happening? Or rather, it's over kind of the Zoom airwaves this time. But it's all good. It's all good. So as we've wrapped up 2022 and we're going into now 2023, we're looking back on the year that was behind us and observing really significant music events that happened. And like all years, unfortunately, there were many artists who were either passed away or who were unfortunately taken from us. So we want to kind of do a bit of an in-memoriam type of episode here and just touch on their greatness and their legacy of what was left behind and uh, just wrap up that part of the year as well. So first and foremost, one artist who was taken from us soon here was Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters. And this was one that surprised a lot of people, mostly because of how it happened in the sense that the Foo Fighters were on an active tour and how Taylor Hawkins played, I believe, a concert right before or less than 24 hours before, you know, only two, of course, turn up dead. And it's absolutely devastating for the rock community, especially for Dave Grohl, who has now lost a couple of band members and ultimately friends in untimely ways, of course, with the first one being, as people know, Kurt Cobain offing himself in uh, the 90s. So really, in that situation, I feel the most sympathy and my heart goes out to Dave the most, who has seemed to have taken it about as well as maybe as you could. Um, I believe, Isaac, you even told me that the band is going to continue even after uh, Taylor's passing, unlike Linkin Park, who kind of decided to hang it up a little bit, which is kind of a horrible pun, I guess, if you think about it, after Chester Bennington killed himself, but is unfortunately rather fitting in the sense that Lincoln Park decided to pretty much cease operations once Chester Bennington died, as opposed to the Foo Fighters, who seem to be moving on a bit. So on December 31st, 22, they um, issued a statement on Taylor and the band. And so the usual respect to Taylor and addressing the community, but they're talking about how they're going to be a different band going forward. So they will be moving forward, according to Dave, but that it's going to be different, which, you know, what else would you expect? And uh, this is kind of a hard thing for the entire band. Now, Dave isn't the only one who's been through difficult times, you know, I mean, who hasn't? Well, you'll get yours is kind of the way I see it is that you're mourning for someone who's mourning, but you're going to be mourning yourself in a bit. You know, it's just a matter of time where someone's going to be mourning you. So Dave's not a unique guy here. You know, the whole Kurt and Taylor thing, it's nothing new, but it is especially somber for people who have been following him for the last, I don't know, 30 years. I'm going to say 30, 40 years. He's also been in other bands, but um, it's definitely a difficult thing to deal with no matter what age you are or no matter how many deaths witnessed. So Dave should be consoled in this time. And 
I think it's just hard no matter who you are, whether you're Dave or someone on the street that literally no one knows your name. So, yeah. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, of course, it's going to be, you know, significantly different without Taylor in the picture. And and I guess that actually segues into kind of the way that I choose to remember Taylor Hawkins and really in terms of how instrumental he was in the songwriting of the Foo Fighters. It took me his death to really look into just how much of a driving force he was behind the sound of the band. And in terms of even having a big hand and penning a lot of the band's biggest hits, including Learn to Fly, yeah, amongst others, which is definitely one of my favorite, albeit maybe a bit played out Foo Fighter songs, but it's one of my favorites. I have a lot of good memories of it from uh, actually playing it on Rock Band back in the day. <laughs> I believe it was on the very first Rock Band. But once again, I mean, I feel like people in our generation maybe have gotten introduced to so much great music and actually a fair amount of like really good rock music because of that game. Oh, I mean, that's a topic for another time. I mean, that and Guitar Hero, man. Oh, yes. I mean, we could definitely have a whole other episode in regards to music video games and, you know, which ones are good, which ones are bad, the influence that they've had on various generations. But I know that that was kind of one way that I, you know, got solidified with, you know, my understanding of the Foo Fighters. But it definitely started as the Dave Grohl project, but I'll have to admit that it evolved into something much more than that. Yeah. And I think Taylor's style, too, of drumming was really signature and really like iconic to him because of course he also had played with like Alanis Morissette too and that was like a you know a completely different sound in itself you know so to go from Alanis to the Foo Fighters was a big 180 but I think it also just showed Taylor's versatility as a drummer especially within a studio setting which we got more tastes of I think with some of the Foo Fighters records even the one that we talked about in our 2002 episode yeah, Taylor has a respectable catalog. Yes. So, of course, that one hurts, especially in the rock community. And, of course, you know, for everybody that we've mentioned in this episode, it is very much a, a rest in peace situation. I hope that Taylor is jamming in heaven um, with many others who have passed soon. One particular genre that saw a fair amount of deaths, both from natural causes and from external forces unfortunately was hip-hop this year and one example of that is coolio the rapper behind gangsta's paradise died of natural causes this year now of course with coolio he had more hits than gangsta's paradise and then actually from the sounds of things and what i've read on him he was actually pretty influential in some respects to what was going on in the 90s and i think he probably deserves more credit than just kind of being a one-hit wonder, but people do really know him mostly just from Gangsta's Paradise, which is a, a great song, albeit it is, you know, pretty much... I mean, if it's good enough for Weird Al to... cover <laughs> or be a parody, exactly. Yeah, and there was all that going on and kind of the reinterpretation, the flipping of the Stevie Wonder sample into a hip-hop format is still really, really cool, and the fact that they both got to do it together, like there was a performance, I think, at one of the award shows, I think it may have been the Grammys, uh, where Coolio and Stevie got to perform together. 
Um, I think it's a really cool merging of sample and then kind of a flip um, or the flipped version of it, as opposed to a lot of artists who will heavily borrow from an existing song where the artist wants nothing to do with like the other product. You know what I mean? Like an example of that would be uh, Don Henley with Frank Ocean taking the instrumental of Hotel California and making it a different song and changing the lyrics. Yeah. Well, rock heads have always, actually, even rap heads are the same way in the old school, but rock has kind of been known as the um, not get with it crowd. <laughs> At least like, you know, the traditional rock and roll 70s guys, right? Yeah. It's a bit radiant of boomer energy sometimes. Yeah, it kind of is entertaining to me, but I kind of get it. But I'm also like, well, you know what I mean? It's kind of both. I kind of see both sides. Not going to lie. Yeah. But I'm all for experimentation. So I'm kind of like, you know, whatever, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I think the difference was, is that with Coolio taking kind of a deeper cut Stevie Wonder song, I think that was kind of a big thing. Yeah. I mean, Pastime Paradise, obviously being off of, Songs in the Key of Life, people didn't know of it, but it wasn't like he took Sir Duke and tried to do something with it or, uh, you know, a widely popular Stevie song. He did decide to take kind of a lesser known song in Stevie's catalog. And so I think that's a big part also why it worked a little bit. But moving forward with deaths in the hip hop community, unfortunately, we had instances of two younger artists being taken from us and not dying of natural causes, and those being Takeoff of the Migos and PNB Rock as well. PNB Rock being an up-and-coming rapper, or a rapper on the come-up, rather, out of Philadelphia. And the circumstances surrounding these two gentlemen's deaths is just absolutely awful in the sense that Takeoff, it was really an instance of wrong place, wrong time. He was essentially a bystander with this shooting incident that happened at a bowling alley just outside of Houston and unfortunately got caught in the crossfires. And then PNB Rock um, is kind of the other one to talk about because uh, with PNB Rock, he uh, essentially got ran up on at uh, a Roscoe's. And the way that that happened was his girlfriend decided to tag their location on Instagram. And uh, of course, with his girlfriend, she probably thought that it was relatively harmless and that, you know, nothing was going to really come of it. But as we found out, unfortunately, that gave the pinpoint to uh, where they could go and run up on PNB. So both of these artists were, especially uh, Takeoff, Takeoff being part of the Migos, I mean, the Migos really shaped a lot of 2010s uh, hip-hop and trap as we know it, especially with uh, their culture albums. Bad and Bougie is basically a like a trap classic at this point. You could not get away from that. Yeah, it is a classic. I mean, say what you will about the Migos and their sound and what your preference is, but at this point, and especially for the genre in which they occupy, it is classic material at this point. Yep. <laughs> you couldn't get away from that or smoke in the air. <laughs> yeah, uh, that whole first Culture album kind of really set a tone for what hip-hop was going to be, especially hip-hop out of Atlanta, 
those Southerners, man, they know how to pump out those hits. Yeah, I mean, between Migos and Future, both of them were really instrumental. I mean, Future um, with his DS2 album, a lot of people view that as a trap hip-hop classic as well. But I mean, you definitely just had a different direction and sound. And Migos was one of those groups. It's really interesting because the way that they started, they started almost in the same way that maybe Coolio did, where they kind of had one really big hit that went viral, which was the hit that I was familiar with them first was Versace, which is kind of a really catchy, albeit a bit basic and repetitive. I mean, they did manage to get a Drake feature on it even back in the day. So that's pretty impressive, especially for a group that was at that time on the come up. But really with the Culture albums, that was kind of really when they came into their own a bit more. And I think they showed people that we're not a one-trick pony. We're not a one-hit wonder. We're not you know, going to have just this song that's passed off kind of as a almost a bit of a novelty song. Actually, I mean, I felt like Versace was almost in novelty song territory. It became a classic, but no, I mean, it's not the same as bad. But I mean, hey, it does its job. It gets stuck in your head. Yeah, and it did do a really good job in regards to laying down the foundation for what the Migos sound is, which is so much built on the chemistry of all three of the members. Of course, with Offset, Takeoff, and Quavo basically being able to bounce off of each other. The ad-libs, of course, which have been parodied quite a bit. They're a very bouncy-sounding group. Yeah, and it's one of those things where so many people bit off of Migos, too, especially once they came out and really established themselves as kind of a dominating force in hip-hop. You really saw not just necessarily groups, but just rappers in general really bite off of the Migos sound with the ad-libs and the flow, especially. And um, that's something that kind of happens quite a bit in hip-hop, actually, um, regardless of what particular style or approach you take to hip-hop. Anybody who is, you know, kind of deemed as successful or and especially, you know, found in, you know, the pop charts or is dominating the charts, uh, there tends to be a lot of biting going in hip-hop where you definitely have people who are just kind of writing the coattails and there was a lot of people who did that with Migos but both of these guys as they were both under 30 years old Takeoff I believe was 28 I think PNB Rock may have been even younger than that which is also a bit of a bummer and I mean that opens up the door for another potential episode in regards to deaths and specifically assassinations within hip hop that have happened over the last couple of years, because it's not just PNB Rock and Takeoff, it's also Pop Smoke, it's XXX Tentacion, it's of course Tupac, um, but we can dive a little bit more into that in a bit of a later episode. Just because uh, that's, once again, a, kind of a, a whole nother topic, and um, especially in regards to what the reaction is to a lot of those deaths, especially within news media, where very much like video games in the 90s or early 2000s, hip-hop takes a lot of blame, Yeah, unfortunately, from mostly 
more conservative media outlets, but you know, a lot of media outlets in general tend to place blame upon the genre inciting violence when in reality it's not exactly that. There's a lot more to it. It's not that simple. There are a lot of nuances like you're implying. Yeah. So once again, that's kind of a whole topic for a whole nother day. But yeah, both of these guys um, are going to be missed. And it's always a bit of a shame when you have artists who are really on a come up and who really have, by all standards, like their whole life and their whole career basically ahead of them and just not really being able to see what they would bring is a bit of a shame especially for Takeoff also just because he was one of, I mean, all the members of Amigos are pretty talented in their own right, but I believe he himself with his particular flow and delivery also showed a lot of promise as a solo artist detached from Amigos. And he was a bit of a fan favorite in that respect too. So unfortunately um, we won't get too much more from them unless they have some music in the vaults. That's going to be, released posthumously but once again that's another topic for a another episode in regards to the handling of posthumous music but um that kind of wraps up the deaths in hip-hop for the year but uh we'll move forward with some other notable passings most notably uh christine mcvee of fleetwood mac and meatloaf as well so rock also did take quite a bit of a hit as well. And we'll go ahead and talk a bit about that um, as well as Ronnie Spector, two of the Ronettes. So Jerry Lee Lewis, just to mention a few. So uh, we'll definitely be getting into the rock section of this again, coming up here very shortly. So uh, once again, this has been the work tape podcast and Shaboy money Mitchell, Isaac Rubin Grover work tape podcast forever, forever. Peace. <laughs>